it's Tony Chapman, and welcome to Chatter That Matters. In this age of noise, I cut through the chaos and the confusion to focus on what matters most to your life, your career, your community, and our planet. At the beginning of every podcast, I ask an essential question, and then together, we go on a quest to mine for insights and identify the big ideas that will help you get to where you need to go. My bet is that you and I share something in common, that what matters above all is our health and our family's health. I fear hospitals, I fight getting older, and my brain can turn a headache into cancer and indigestion into a pending heart attack. So I'm always on this mission, this quest to find out what I can do to prevent disease, to battle invasion, to drink from that fountain of youth. But I never know what's right or wrong. I mean, is fat good or bad for you? How about meat, peanut butter? Dude, vitamins work, supplements. What foods should I take to protect the dormant cancer cells that lie in all of us? Or does any of this matter? Are we all just genetically programmed by our family tree to grow and wither at a preordained time? So I end up in this rat's nest, this bull of spaghetti, and each time I pull out a strand, I learn a different and often conflicting thing. What is true and what is fake? What is being engineered and then fed into our social media to change our beliefs? What if you had that source, that Yoda, that individual you trusted to separate fact from fiction? To provide you with a balanced answer versus one steeped in biases. Well, I had that individual in my life. Known him for over a decade. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met and his subject matter happens to be the human body. I go to him for my answers and a path to follow. His name's Gunseek and in this three-part holiday edition of Chatter That Matters, Gun is going to share what matters to you and your family's health. He was declared the world's top trainer. People like Arnold Schwarzenegger worked under his tutelage. For the last decade, he's devoted his life to understanding nutrition and what you put in your body and how that can help you not only prevent disease, but if you get hit by a disease, find a way to cure it. Part one, we're going to talk about can food fight and even cure disease. Our second episode, we're going to talk about the movie Game Changers, which is creating this massive movement to move away from meat and to go to a plant-based diet. And the third one is, in 2020, can I turn back my aging clock? Gun, welcome to the show. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Gun, so tell me, tell the listeners about your background and passions and, and where you are today in this whole thinking about the human body. Okay, so in a nutshell, I am absolutely impressed seven days a week about the body's ability to turn back disease and basically acquire phenomenal health no matter what stage in life you are currently at. And this capacity is largely unknown to the public simply because they're not familiar with all the options that are available. And I'm the I'm your go-to guy, I'm the mediator for, for that because I spent over 20 years in this direction and I can tell you that the results are phenomenal for those who are willing to follow them. So when you talk about, you're using words like reverse, no matter what age you are, situation you're in. So you're saying that even if starting tomorrow, I could have a positive impact on the quality of my life if I followed certain protocols. Absolutely. Um, uh, put it, I'll put it this way. 
Health is built one meal at a time. But the converse is also true. Health can be subtracted ever so imperceptible one meal at a time. So obviously they're in, uh, if you look at it from a summary standpoint, the largest single stimulus that you can place on yourself every day to move your health forward is what you eat. So it wouldn't be drugs, it wouldn't be exercise, and even you know positive thinking is great, but it's what literally you put into your body that creates health or creates disease. So I hear though, you know, when you talk to some people, they say, yes, sure, but really it's your genetics. You're kind of programmed. It's a clock that you're kind of dealt with, with but whatever your parents passed to you. How, what role does genetics play versus what you're saying where you can actually manage your destiny? Okay, so, so when someone throws you the genetics card, that's uh, underneath uh, what I would call um, the old adage uh this is a changing of the guard it's like your mother your father you got whatever you got from your parents and it's this mechanistic deterministic uh mendelian model based on gregor mendel an augustinian monk who grew pea plants in the uh in the uh, garden and he more or less came up with the whole idea of dominant recessive genes and determinism of that whole thing we now know that that is not true case in point at best, 25% of what you are is your genetics and 75% is your environment. Or to put it simply, think of a gun. The gun is uh, your genetics, but pulling the trigger is the environment. So you being acted upon by your environment, when I say environment, I mean you know what you eat, uh, your level of activity, the quality of your thinking and relationships, uh, all of this integration in t- towards your health, that determines, and that's the plasticity, that determines your eventual health far more than genetics. Yes, genetics is important, but it is now, uh, uh, it takes a second place seat to the new science called epigenetics. So what's epigenetics mean? So epigenetics, epi comes from the word above. So basically what it means is you are a, um, every person is designed to have a response to a certain input. So for example, if someone was, let's say they're allergic to wheat and they've never introduced it into their diet, but at the age of 17, they moved to a location somewhere in the world where, where wheat was heavily expressed and they started eating a lot of wheat and they would show, uh, based on the wheat and their allergenicity, they would certain, show certain symptomologies that, would, uh, that allergenicity would be expressed. For example, runny nose, uh, some degree of brain fog, a slowing down of their metabolism, an inability to digest properly, lower energy levels. They just switched an epigenetic switch within their body. So that acted upon them, but it lied dormant until they made that decision. The beauty is that we now know what turns disease on, and we also know what turns disease off. And so epigenetics gives the, I, I put it this way, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which one do you want first? Everyone wants the good news first. Good news is your health is absolutely entirely up to yourself. You can change your health if you do the right decisions. The bad news, your health is entirely up to yourself because a lot of people aren't going to make the changes. So what I'm getting at is it is if you make the right change, 
you're definitely going to have health. So, okay. So I get, you know, I don't, you know, don't drink, uh, don't smoke, uh, you know, make these right choices. Which a lot of people ignore. What's your advice to getting people to have, to motivate themselves to follow a path that seems to be quite simplistic? Okay. Um, I get people to ask themselves this question. What are you tolerating? Now, let me expand on that. Are you going up the stairs and your knee hurts? When you wake up in the morning, do you have no energy? Uh, when you eat a meal, do you feel sleepy afterwards when you think you should be uh, full of vitality? Uh, is your sleep bad? Are you getting sick more than two times a year? Uh, do you have any form of an ache or pain that comes and goes seemingly without reason? What are you tolerating? So if you're tolerating certain health presentations that are not exemplary of zenith of health, then you need to do something about it. Because, uh, and, and you know, I, I run a clinic and I've run this for years. And one of the things in number crunching I've seen a long time ago is things don't generally come in with a bang. They come in with a dull whisper, a, 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 like just a little bit of a, a little bit of a symptom, a little bit of something that's uh, on a small level of detection where you say to yourself, Gee, that didn't used to be like that. I don't know why I'm getting that pain now. These are signs or feedback loops to yourself to say, get to the heart of the matter. Find out why that's happening on you. Do something about it. But you go to the, the, the medical system with this, and if it's not serious, it's often ignored. And even if it's, even if it's presented in a way that people pay attention, more often than not, you're prescribed something. Right, where you're saying you should actually subscribe to something. Okay, so so yes, so that's that's uh, so we have to look at um, the elephant in the room that no one's looking at, and that is, uh, first of all, I have to say something. The pharmaceutical industry is a blessing to people. Yes, I know that sounds surprising, and I'll tell you why. Because the majority of the population does not want to go down the rabbit hole and does not want to find the reasons to why they have that ache and pain, but they would like something to smooth over and basically quieten down the symptom of that particular problem. The small percentage of society, and this is the one whom I predominantly deal with, and that's just a numerical fact, are willing to ask, why do I have this? Um, I don't want to do the pharmaceutical thing. I would like to get to the heart of the matter. I don't want to hush the symptoms. I want this to go away. And for that group, uh, what I say is when you find the answer to why you have what you have, you then have a protocol designed. Or put another way, the science behind the disease has to match the science behind the cure. So in order to do that, Let's give a simple example, really simple. A wart on your finger. Wow, I've had that wart all the time. Sometimes it's worse, sometimes it's better, it flares up, other times it seems to recede. Well, warts are interesting <clears throat> because they can't handle, uh, they feed on vitamin C, so you can take your vitamin C, you're just gonna feed the wart. But uh, when you take vitamin A for a period of time, the wart will start to shrink and get smaller and get less invasive and eventually physically decline. You will literally see it with your own eyes and then it's gone. Now, 
that would be, in a sense, a form of a naturopathic solution. In an allopathic solution, which is the Western medical model, they would give you something to apply on it topically. They would come at it possibly from a removal of it, a surgical removal of it. They might freeze it. All of those things are valid. But in the first example, we literally got rid of it because your body needed the vitamin A from an immunological standpoint uh, immunopotentiating standpoint in order to get rid of it. So that's a simple uh, example to say, when you have something and it's expressing, get to the root and cut it off from there. So how do you get to the root? I mean, the, 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 the wart would be one of 10 million things that could be presenting to the human body. How do you, what advice do you give people to start listening to these whispers, paying attention when they start shouting at you and finding a path where you're, managing it by, as you're saying, having the science to fight the science. Okay, so typically what I would do is an intake with the person. It's very comprehensive. Minimum, it's about an hour to an hour and a half. That's minimum, but it's not uncommon to have a two-hour intake. During that collation of information, a huge amount of questions are asked and you start seeing patterns. And with that pattern recognition, it starts to show red or orange alerts, meaning simply things that are poised to get worse unless you do something about them. Uh, for certain people who want to go deeper, uh, I hook them up to a machine, which is basically a frequency machine that bounces over 6,000 signals within the body and sends back a feedback loop to the computer, and it starts showing certain areas of concern, ranks them from top to bottom. Put it simply, let's say John Doe comes in and I start seeing a lot of markers for gastrointestinal disturbance, gastrointestinal inflammation, uh, a lot of uh, radiating effects of that inflammation to different areas of the body. We then know that the protocol will move strongly toward reversing that inflammation. So, so I, I get it if I have an opportunity to have to uh, to get to spend time with you, and I know how busy you are, so that's that's a that's a math problem, supply and demand. What for the average person listening? Should they start be thinking about as they're trying to make their health and their health destiny a matter of choice, not chance? Is there okay. anything that you can do if you don't you don't have access to someone like you? Yes. So the first thing I suggest is going back to originally what I said is what are you tolerating? Find out if there's anything in you that you, in terms of your physical output and also cognition, your mental output, your stamina, your energy levels, uh, your circadian rhythm throughout the day. Do you fall asleep in the afternoon? Do you not? Uh, do you have great focus, stamina, etc.? One of the biggest things I tell people to look at first and foremost as a strong indicator of health is your energy levels. You can have the greatest ideas in the world if you cannot execute them because you're not energetic, if you can't follow through on your day because you don't have the amount of energy that you think you need, you need to look at the why on that. That's one of the first things to look at is energy. So let's break down energy. Let's, that's a great one to talk about because there's a, you know, we're dealing with a planet that's everybody's trying to do more and less and they're saying they're burnt out and they're stressed out. If, if I was honest with myself and said, you know, my, my energy, I don't have the, I don't have the, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the, the thrust that I think I should have, what are some things I should be thinking about doing? Go right back to your food. Your food is your source of energy. It is the dynamic that creates 
the thermogenesis, the heat of the body. It creates the energy stabilization. It creates all the series of, or the cascade, the domino effects within the body that regulate the literally tens of millions of, of cells of process every second that we speak. Go to your food. So um, one of the interesting things that I've always found is that when people are looking for energy, First thing I ask when I ask them, well, you know, walk me through a typical day of how you eat. In 10 out of 10 cases, and these are people, they're smart, they can achieve a lot in life, they can be world-class athletes, they can be people you see on TV. But one of the things I keep finding is almost no one has a virtually perfect diet. There's all kinds of things that they do that innocently, now this is all with innocence, that they're doing on a daily basis that is sapping them of their energy. For example, one of them, classic, especially you see with tradespeople, they'll have a breakfast and then they'll go all day, you know, doing carpentry or doing electrical wiring or doing any uh, masonry and they have a supper. Missing that lunch is a fantastic way to pad yourself for future lack of energy. It's just that simple. That's like, so that's an obvious one. Another one is empty calories. I've lost count how many times I've heard people say, well, you know, um, first thing in the morning, God, I'll have um, a bagel and a coffee. And I'll go, okay, and then? No, that's it, bagel and a coffee. Well, where's your protein? What do you mean? Well, where's your antioxidants? Uh, I, I don't understand. Um, where's your fats? Your good fats. I, I, what are you saying? Well, that meal, that meal is going to bonk you in about an hour and a half. Meals are very honest. If you want to see how your food is working, just monitor yourself for one and a half to three hours after the meal, a little bit of self-introspection, and you will see if it works. And so, so, so that's the second thing is that's a big one. Third one is nutrient density. When I see people eat and they say they don't have any energy um, and then they'll tell me what they eat, they're eating like a budgie bird. Now that's fine if, you're, if you are an actual bird, but for most people, you need to have some nutrient density. Notice I didn't say large meals, just nutrient density. You can have, for example, if someone says, okay, what would I have that is nutrient dense? Was avocado, nuts, seeds, uh, cottage cheese. There's a lot of foods that create nutrient density. And be the beautiful thing is when you put them together, you can actually have a one plus one equals 11 situation, case in point. Uh, tuna is good, but tuna and eggs is phenomenal. I just mentioned cottage cheese, that's good. But cottage cheese and pineapple is phenomenal because the enzymes in the pineapple will act on uh, the actual protein within the milk and it will make uh, an easier trip for your body to transit through your body and to absorb that particular nutritional combination. So that's another thing that I would look at with respect to energy. Third one, uh, this one is rampant. I'll ask something simple as, what's your hydration like? What do you, what do you mean hydration? Well, no, like how, how's your water intake? Oh yeah, water, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, let's see now, does coffee count? Does pop count? I said, yeah, it's a little bit substandard and I'm just looking for like, you know, good clean sources of water. Do you have any? I'd say about one and a half glasses a day. Well, well the solution to pollution is dilution. How do you move everything through your liver? How do you process the 77 trillion cells in your body to absorb food and take out toxins? Water is like literally the movement of all that machinery. You need to do that. Oh, I didn't know that. 
Like that's so common. I would say 50% of people are under hydrators. And check this out, Tony. And then when they bring water in, I'm not talking about that it's got to be eight glasses a day. You always hear people making rigidly as though there's something magical about eight. But more increase for sure, at least at least double of what a low water intake person's doing. They'll say, this is weird. I got energy. Oh, um, you know what? I noticed another thing too. I feel better in the evenings when normally I would have had a brain fog. And all we did was add water. So sometimes the, the solutions are so fundamental, they may be seen as eye rollers. Like, really? You forgot that? But again, if no one's telling them, there's not a lot of people on the horizon and there's so many uh, who are telling them what works. And I say this with total... Um, Hey, I appreciate other people's hustles. There's, you know, there's all kinds of health gurus out there. But I always look at, here's the interesting thing. It has to bear out in the experiment of life. In other words, your day should represent the improvement that was in the protocol. So if someone says do A, B, and C, and that day becomes better, you can't wing that stuff. And so my point is, that's why it's such a, you're literally experimenting yourself on yourself every day with what you eat. So it's very easy to monitor the progress. For example, uh, there's another one with water. Oh, you know what? That ache and pain, that ache and pain went away. Where was it? Oh, it was in my, um, my knee. I had it there for like three years. It's gone. I can't believe that's just due to underhydration gun. Yes, it is. In that particular case for you at that moment of time with your particular makeup, yes. Now, would that be across the board for everyone? No, but that's the beauty of the self-experimentation. So what about, you know, a lot we're reading about with, you know, is our water safe to drink? Should I be getting filtered? Should I bottled water? What's your, your sense of if water is one of those superfoods for your body, are we okay just turning on the tap and having a glass of water? Uh, I would say no. Water does have some additives within it that would be somewhat deleterious for some people over a period of time. I always encourage someone to have a water filter system within their house. Uh, and the better the system, obviously, you're going to benefit fr from it. So I'm a big flag waver for clean water. But it, again, it doesn't like, you know, there are grades, just like there's grades of everything. Water in a glass bottle is going to be better for you than water in a plastic bottle. And water that's been colored and flavored is obviously going to be substandard to the first two. And then some people love carbonated uh, water. That's fine. I mean, there's not going to be any big health benefit, but if it gets you to drink more water, um, there's these machines that actually add carbonation and that and encourages people to drink water who are predisposed to not having any. But I always say, yes, um, avoid the tap. Definitely. It's not bad for you uh, in a way like here and there, now and then. Your liver is a filter. That's what it was designed for. It's meant to take noxious substances or toxic aspects and render them into harmless molecules and expose it, uh, send it out of your body. But at the same time, you don't want to add insult to injury by constantly having something that is a known uh, factor with uh, additives in it that are del deleterious to your health. So one of the other areas that, you know, in this modern society, we're always looking for the, uh, the uh, you know, the super bullet 
it and they call it in this case is superfood and every, every year there seems to be a new one if you eat this you're going to be uh you're going to cure your health is there such thing as superfoods and if so which are the ones that you say should be part of our diet okay so superfoods are a class of foods that in popular literature nutritional uh, literature, uh, pop culture, have many features associated with that food. Now, it runs a fine line between being flavor of the month, shiny object syndrome for a few, for a little point in time, as a, as a, opposed to actually being really good for you. So let's take, um, normally a lot of your superfoods will be things in the antioxidant family. Let's, let's look, pom- pomegranates. So pomegranates have a phenomenal a list of uh, vitamins, antioxidants, polyphenols, all kinds of substrates within the uh, within the molecular structure of pomegranates that are good for your heart, are good for circulation, are good for anti-inflammatory, good for mental clarity, uh, are definitely good for the telomeres, which which uh, is another topic altogether. Um, that's a genuine superfood. Here's the thing. It's always been a superfood. The only difference is now it's been brought to the forefront. And so people now are, they, you know, they um, they covet it and they start stocking up on it and they start eating it. So really what it is, it's like, hey, let's introduce you to something that's been around for tens of millions of years and drum roll, please. Now, that being said, uh, if you compare that to say lettuce and pomegranate, even though they both have their aspects, uh, lettuce wouldn't be considered a superfood. So the way I judge a superfood is this. Does it have the ability to create a turnaround or a significant reduction in a pathological expression? Simply stated, does that superfood help you that you can discern? So in that category, there are foods that definitely, as soon as you have them, uh, you notice them immediately. For many people, it's salmon. I've had people say to me, hey, Gunn, I had some salmon. I can actually notice it the same day. Wow, thanks for the tip. That's really good. Now, here's one that could be semi-controversial. Wow, Gunn, I haven't put beef in my diet in two years, but you suggested I put it in my diet. I actually feel like... Kind of like I woke up from a, a B version of myself. I feel good today. I feel like I'm running on eight cylinders. And that was simply grass-fed beef, you know, four to six ounces uh, once. And they noticed that aspect. So the magnitude of the change as it relates to the food you just ate determines whether that's a superfood, not popular culture. So, so when you're talking about uh, all of this, it's obviously it's people's personal preferences, but is there... Can you prescribe for the general public or does each person need their own prescription in terms of what matters to their body? Okay, so that's a fantastic question. That's a, a, that's a big, big topic that I, I can, I can su- uh, summarize it saying each person is clearly unique. One person's ceiling is another person's floor. Case in point, I'll give you three very quick examples. God comes to my clinic. I have a clinic and I also have a gym in the same building, complex, clinic and gym. They're, they're separated, but often uh, they're integrated in a sense of uh, for examination and um, observation. So a guy comes in and he says to me, uh, I'm wildly allergic to milk. And his claim was through the roof. I can drink two ounces of milk and my belt will go up one 
a hole in five minutes. I said, come on, one hole in five minutes. You've got to be kidding me. No, I'm serious. So um, I said, okay, let's do it. Let's give you two ounces of milk. I just want to see that. That's just kind of odd. Uh, that's very interesting. I don't doubt that some kind of reaction is happening to you and you're definitely not set up for milk. But that being said, let's watch it. Give them the two ounces. We talk for five minutes. And just like it was out of a sci-fi movie, his belly starts to puff and it pushed and it was discernible. And then in front of me, he goes, what? watch this, watch this. And he put it to another loop. Now, I know some of you out there are saying, oh, well, he just, he probably had one of those waists. He had it tight and he could go down the loop. No, 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 no. It was fairly loose at the loop. And then he went up one belt notch loop. Example number two. Um, someone came to the gym portion, worked out in the morning, ate some salmon. Six hours later, a lady comes into the same establishment, grabs the same bar with the person who just had salmon six hours earlier, grabs the bar. I witnessed this, so I, I saw it for real. And they put the bar back down and they start breathing heavily and they said, uh, gun, um, uh, I, I, what happened here is uh, there's something happening here. Uh, I think someone's touched this bar. What, what do you mean they've touched the bar? Yeah, everybody touches the bar. Yeah, I understand. No, no, but I mean someone had some fish. They had some fish. Uh, I don't think so. No, I'm serious. I'm, my throat is starting to close. Uh, I'm, not, I, I'm not going into anaphylactic shock, but I have an EpiPen. I, I, I'm debating whether I should use it. And then I thought really quickly, oh my, I have an emergency here. What do we do? What do we do? And then it, oh shoot, six hours ago, a certain person came in. They just told me they had salmon. They touched the bar. And six hours later, this lady's reacting. So uh, we, um, we settled that situation down quickly. And she was good to go. She didn't use her EpiPen. Okay. Third person. Hey, look, you have to go on a vegetarian diet. Um, uh, I think this would be good for you. Uh, everyone's telling this person. I said, okay, well, let's, before we say everyone's telling you that this would be good for you, let's monitor you. So go on it. Within two weeks, digestive disturbances, gastrointestinal imbalances, flatulence, uh, a lot of low energy. And we looked, when we put it under the magnifying glass, they had a strong reaction to lectins, which are in beans and grains and wheat and peanuts. Okay, the takeaway is this. One guy reacted to milk. Another woman reacted almost deathly to fish. Third person to lectins and vegetables. So you, you, you could never come at these three people and say, you should have milk. You should have fish because fish is really good for you. You should have vegetables. That's like, that's the opposite end of the perspective. We have to look at what works, for example, what works for Tony Chapman? What works for Gunn? And you listeners out there, what works for you? And when we find out that, we're now unlocking the keys to your health from an individuality basis, and that is the, is the cornerstone to health. Here's the three things I learned from Gunn today. First of all, genetics are important, but what's really important is what we put in our body. In fact, what we put in our body can make our health positive, negative, a matter of choice, not chance. Second thing is, it doesn't have to be rocket science. Just simple things like hydration, making sure you're flushing the system, understanding how the body works and giving it a fighting chance. But the third thing is we're not created equal. Everybody reacts to things differently. But if you listen to what Gunn calls the whispers, the little signs that are starting to present themselves, and you start treating them before they become a roar, 
then you have an opportunity to live the kind of healthy life that matters to you and your family. It's Tony Chapman. Thanks for tuning in to Chatter That Matters. Thank you, Gunn. You're welcome. You've been listening to Chatter That Matters. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with Tony on Twitter at Tony Chapman, through LinkedIn at Tony Chapman Reactions, or visit his website, TonyChapmanReactions.com. Chatter That Matters is produced by Tony Chapman Reactions and Eye Contact Productions. I'm Dave Trafford.